Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we talk about what happens to this new generation of athlete activists in the age of Trump. And I can't think of anybody better to talk to about this subject than legendary sports sociologist, Dr. Harry Edwards. First and foremost, just as a baseline to this discussion, what is your impression of the election results from last week? Well, I'm neither surprised nor chagrined at the outcome. Um, the media, especially the mainstream media in this country, did not expose Trump because they never attacked him straight on in terms of his racist, misogynistic, xenophobic policies. They gave him free time, billions of dollars in free time. They didn't expose him. They showcased him. And then uh, when I look at what was happening in American society with black men, women, and children being shot down by police officers and nobody going to jail, when I look and see an Oscar Grant who is killed while he's on his stomach with two cops on him and he's shot and the guy that shot him gets less time than Michael Vick got for murdering Mutz. I, you know, I, I never deluded myself into thinking that somehow we were in some post-racial America. I looked at the way that they treated the first African-American president and his family. And so I was not uh, shocked or chagrined. The issue now for me is what do we do about it? And at one level, it's crystal clear that this situation can no longer be denied and, and we have to go to work. Now, I, I agree with everything you just said. Racism, of course, animated this election. The horrific dereliction of duty by the media animated this election. But I'm also reckoning with the fact that uh, Hillary Clinton got 9 million less votes than President Obama in 2008, 6 million less than he got in 2012. And Trump even got 1.5 million less votes than Mitt Romney. How do you incorporate that into the analysis that so many people, it seems like, were just turned off from this spectacle as well, despite unprecedented interest? People didn't show up to vote. The, the media tried to uh, present the situation as if there was an equivalency. And let's face it, uh, Hillary didn't have baggage when it comes to the African-American community. In particular, she had cargo. Still, over 94% of black women voted for Hillary, as opposed to less than 50% of white women. I mean, I'm going out of my way <laughs> to be specifically um, kind and generous to the black women in my life. I'm sending them all flowers along with a copy of um, John Coltrane's I Want to Talk About You. Even as an Ivy League PhD, I don't have the words for the amount of admiration and love and so forth that I have for them, given that they were really the only group that stood up and stood out in terms of uh, coming out against Trump. So I'm looking at the demographics that are involved and so forth, and uh, I'm not surprised. Uh, between uh, the black men who can't vote because of felony records and so forth, and those who are confused, lost, uh, in some instances outright degenerate, uh, I'm not surprised that Trump got 13% of the black male vote. So at the end of the day, I'm really not surprised that any of this is just a matter of coring down, boring down into the statistics and looking to see who did what. And typically, there's a pretty good answer for it. And a lot of people were simply not turned off by 
the process, the degeneracy of the process. They didn't see anybody that they could vote for who would make a difference, even where they thought about the Supreme Court in some instances. And I think that's unfortunate because I think Hillary would have made a difference in terms of Supreme Court appointments. The question that is on my mind is about this last fall and everything we've seen in terms of athletes fighting back, both at the collegiate and the professional level. One political insider said to me, the athlete fighting back has been the only thing in the last year that's inspired them to get out of bed in the morning, given how, as you put it, degenerate this whole election process has been. They were feeling that too. And this is an insider, someone whose bread is buttered by this process. How do you think the Trump victory is going to affect the mood, the momentum of what we've seen in terms of these jocks for justice? I think it's going to accelerate it. I don't think it'll kill it. Uh, the uh, media will run a whole bunch of uh, black Uncle Tom Trump sycophants across the stage to try to explain how what he intends to do and might do uh, in the best interest of black people in the black community. I think that they should be dismissed out of hand. The so-called black Christian preachers who so publicly supported Trump, uh, these uh, handkerchief-head Jesus pimps, should be dismissed out of hand. They, I mean, Malcolm used to call them house Negroes. Back in Malcolm's day, we didn't have the internet where we could look up their histories and see what they're saying and see what they've been about. Today, we have all of that. These are not house Negroes. These are outhouse Negroes who will be run across the stage to criticize athletes, to criticize other black people, and they should be dismissed. These are people who are content to live in old master's toilet as long as they can be close to him and his money when he comes in to use the toilet. All of that's going to ball up. It's going to be out there. But I think that athletes are going to continue to uh, speak up and to speak out. I think we're going to get black women athletes involved because if he does what he says he's going to do, Trump does what he says he's going to do, in terms of Roe v. Wade, you're going to have a lot of uh, black women athletes who are uh, not going to be able to accept scholarships uh, to play sports in college. You're going to have married uh, athletes and the pros who are not going to be able to participate because they will not be able to get the medical services that they desire in order to continue their career. So this thing is going to redound uh, throughout uh, sports, and I think that um, athletes uh, will respond. I think we're looking at an escalation in terms of uh, athlete uh, responses to this uh, systematic racism and most certainly to the misogynistic, uh, racist uh, that a majority white population has put into the White House. Now, you've been in several locker rooms in the last week, I know. What's the snapshot mood from the players that you're talking to? The players that I have spoken with, professional as well as uh, collegiate, uh, basketball, football in particular, have been trying to figure out a way to express themselves and to anticipate what they may have to deal with as protests inevitably break out both in their communities as well as on their campuses. Uh, the University of Missouri set a standard for what athletes are obliged at least to consider if not to do. And so on a number of campuses that I've spoken on in the last three months, athletes are trying to figure out where does this thing fall on our campus. And suppose the students on the campus begin to organize and demonstrate around issues that impact them personally, both on the campus and in the community, and determine that the athletes have a role to play in that. How do we take that stand and still stay unified 
as a team. And suppose it does come down to a threat of a boycott. Are we all together? Is it a matter of democratic vote? Is it a matter of uh, demographic vulnerability? If you're an African-American, uh, do you have any obligation to consider what the white players on the team uh, think, especially in cases where so many of them were Trump supporters? All of that has been discussed. They are already considering those issues. And these are difficult problems for 18, 19, 20-year-olds uh, to wrestle with. But they are undertaking that challenge on the campuses and most certainly in the professional uh, sports ranks. Well, it sounds like in these darkest of times, you've gotten an injection of hope by being around these folks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, <laughs> when you have no choice, the odds and the circumstances don't matter. I mean, it's like taking your next breath. You have no choice whether you want to get up this morning, whether you're feeling good, bad, whether you've had your coffee or not. You have no choice but to take that next breath. Under these circumstances that we're confronted with today, we have no choice. I mean, we're confronted with some possibilities that are unprecedented in American history uh, with a very, very few examples. I mean, when this man starts talking about loading up the buses and cattle cars and shipping 11 million immigrants and Latinos across the border into Mexico, we're back to the Japanese internment camps. We're back to the removal of Native Americans from their homelands to what essentially were concentration camps where they died by the hundreds of thousands. We have to begin to think about what we're going to do. If you've ever wondered what you would do had you been around in 1930s Germany, I'm awfully afraid that you're going to get a chance to find out. So all of these issues are out there, not to speak of the circumstances of women, the circumstances of Muslims. Is he really going to have a religious test to allow Muslims to come into this country? I mean, ISIS must be uh, licking their chops for him to get that underway. What are we going to do in order to defend America? Not to oppose him, but to defend America. Those are issues that we all now have to wrestle with out front. There's no way to hide. Now, later in this broadcast, I'm going to do uh, my own little monologue defending Colin Kaepernick from some of the criticism he's received for what he said about not voting. But as someone who's worked with Colin Kaepernick, as someone who's connected to the 49ers organization, I'd love to just have your thoughts about Colin Kaepernick and, and what he has said about these elections. You know, I talked to Cap two or three times a week, and uh, one of the things that I've stated is that if for no other reason than you have so many oppositional interests who are trying to suppress the vote, you have so many people who died to secure the vote, you have so many issues down ballot that are critically important to resolving and dealing with some of the very injustices that you're concerned about, there's an obligation to vote. We know as Trump said, that, you know, if anybody in society knows how rigged these elections can be, it's black people. I mean, at one point we couldn't vote. Then when we were able to vote, the districts were gerrymandered, so our vote didn't count for nearly what they should have counted for. And now we're dealing with uh, voter suppression that is systematic and from the top. Uh, we know about rigged elections, but at the same time, we must utilize every arrow that we have in our quiver, no matter how small or how short distance. But uh, we had that conversation. He has a right not to vote. We don't have a mandatory voting law in this country, but I think that he has to uh, really think and uh, sincerely consider 
what the impact of his not voting is, because in this election, that was really a vote for Trump. Not only that, but what the impact of his not voting is upon all of those other millennials and young people who look to him for, for courage, direction, guidance, insight, and so forth. In some of my darker moments, I, I've turned to Muhammad Ali, his example, what he would have said at a given moment. Most of the time, to be frank, I'm looking at that Muhammad Ali of the 1960s, between 64 and 72 in particular. And I wanted to ask you, what does Ali have to teach us in the era of Trump? I think that Ali, along with a number of other outstanding uh, black athletes, Jackie Robinson in his last days, who said, I never had it made, and I'm sorry, I can't stand for either the national anthem or to say the Pledge of Allegiance. They teach us that ultimately it's not the odds that are against you. It's the magnitude of your courage and the caliber of your commitment that should guide and drive your actions and perspectives. Trump is wrong for America. Trump is wrong for the world. We have an obligation at every level to organize, to mobilize, to establish coalitions, to fight this madness. The fact that a majority white Americans, and, and, and don't tell me it was the Doug Nation people or some backwater stomped down or white people in a trailer court somewhere. This was from Wall Street down to the street that voted to put Trump in office and for him to bring in all of those other racists and sycophants and so forth that uh, followed him down that path to the sewer. We have an obligation to mobilize and to begin to organize against the impact of that on our communities, on our colleges and universities, on our lives. That is what Ali teaches us, irrespective of the personal and individual cost. Why? Mm. Because we have no option. I know a lot of folks right now, people close to me, who since these elections just feel like th their brain is on fire. What do you do to take some of the load off so you can fight another day? What do you do for your wellness, especially when things are, are this hot? Well, uh, first of all, I read. I read everything I can get my hands on that is going to be information. That was, uh, Malcolm X said that reading and study are the activities that best reward effort. And if I were talking to a person today, I would tell them to go online and read articles by two of my protégés and former students, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and David Leonard. Read uh, Kareem's uh, article, What It Means to Be Black, during a Trump administration and read David Leonard's undefeated blog, uh, Student Athlete 2.0. I would start reading everything that I could get my hands on that informed me about developments current and past and how they were handled. The second thing that I would do is I would surround myself with people who are similarly committed. Uh, we do not have time for a lot of uh, hee-hawing and shimmy-shamming and moonwalking and geez, hand-wringing and so forth. We have got to begin to organize because now it's in our face. It's undeniable. It is the reality of America today. I have a friend that I've been uh, dealing with for years. He told me, oh, we'll come out of this with some scars, but we will come out of it. Yeah, but come out of it as what? 
That is what the question is. And uh, so we need to go to work, but we need to inform ourselves. I've always been a scholar activist because I believe that activism without scholarship is uh, a formula for chaos and confusion, if not disaster. And scholarship without activism, doing a bunch of reading while doing nothing is empty. So I would advise people to read, to get together with people uh, who are similarly oriented and to begin to figure out ways where coalitions can be established, where people can be organized and mobilized to fight this madness, because that is what it's going to come down to. It's going to be we, the people, who are going to be the difference in what the next four years look like. Dr. Edwards, thank you so much for your time. I really do think your words are going to help a lot of people. Everything you've said on this show today, thank you so much. I know, um, you know, there's that old expression, if you even reach one person, it's worth it. Well, you just reached me. So thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, continue to struggle. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Edwards. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. That was the legendary Dr. Harry Edwards. And now I've got some choice words about Colin Kaepernick's decision not to vote. And I guess we could call it a counterpoint to the argument that Dr. Edwards made. There is one pledge I'm making after this election for my mental, physical, and especially political health. I'm done ingesting bull****. I'm done with the hot take, bloviating culture in sports and politics that bears as much accountability for the absurdity of Donald Trump being president as anything else. A great example of this could be seen in the response to Colin Kaepernick's comments about the election. For those who missed it, the anthem protesting 49ers quarterback said he wasn't voting, explaining it this way. I've been very disconnected from the systematic oppression as a whole, so for me it's another face that's going to be the face of that system of oppression. To me it doesn't really matter who goes in there, the system still remains intact that oppresses people of color." End quote. Look, people might not like the fact that Colin Kaepernick chose not to vote, but guess what? He was hardly alone. Hillary Clinton got almost 10 million less votes than Barack Obama in 2008. Hell, Donald Trump got 1.5 million less votes than Mitt frickin' Romney. People stayed home in record numbers because this election was nauseating. People stayed home because the number one issue, according to all polls, was the economy. And instead the media, and for the most part the candidates, spent a year and a half talking about bull****. We spent 18 precious months of our lives discussing polls and haircuts and emails and pantsuits and tweets. We didn't talk about, at least we didn't talk about it after Bernie Sanders was vanquished by the DNC, about how this economy has flattened working people and people of color for 40 years and what the nominees were going to do about it. I'm far less angry at Colin Kaepernick for not voting than I am at the Democratic Party for so casually and wantonly crushing the choice that we deserve to have. A choice between, as one protester in D.C. said so well, whether we would have a white nationalist scapegoating economy or whether we would have a social economy. Now, that's not just on Bernie. That's about Senator Elizabeth Warren choosing not to run. That's about coronating someone from the neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party just because it was their turn. 
The Democrats did not give us the choice that we needed to be able to have the ability to make. So now we're going to have to fight for it. There are demonstrations ripping out across the country. And the one called for inauguration weekend, well, that's going to be a doozy. I've been on three demonstrations in D.C. in the last week. At one of those demos, this young woman said to me, I couldn't stop thinking about Trump winning. I was at work and I couldn't stop crying. It's not about Hillary Clinton. It's about the Democratic machine and the way they ran their candidate of choice through the system. So we see that the liberal elites were just as out of touch as we have known, end quote. Now, Harry Edwards said this beautifully, and it's absolutely true. So many people died for our right to vote, and to not exercise it is a slap in the face to their sacrifice. With all due respect to Dr. Edwards and with all due respect to that opinion, let me just offer this counterpoint. I think it's also a slap in the face to their sacrifice when our choices are limited to candidates who don't represent the pressing questions we face in our lives. It's a slap in the face to their sacrifice that we have an electoral college, a relic designed to give disproportionate power to slave states that put the person with the lesser number of votes in office. It's a slap in the face that we have a voting system that effectively put a poll tax on people of color with four-hour lines and limited hours. People did fight and die for our right to vote. They also fought and died for our right not to vote. So I both understand where Colin Kaepernick is coming from, and I also deeply respect people who disagree with him, and I also deeply respect all Kaepernick has done this year to raise awareness about police violence and putting that question in uncomfortable spaces. It has taken courage, and in the face of threats to his career and threats to his life, his heart has not skipped a beat. Now ESPN national embarrassment Stephen A. Smith disagrees, and this is what he says. To turn around and not even take your behind to the polls to vote for a particular candidate, it is shameful, absolutely shameful, for him not to vote. As far as I'm concerned, everything he said meant absolutely nothing, end quote. Look, my only comment about Stephen A. Smith's political wheezing is what I said at the start. I'm done ingesting this kind of bull. It's bad for my health and makes a mockery of the very real very tough choices that we're going to face in the years ahead. Let the pundits on sports and talk radio yell at each other until they're blue in the face. If we learn nothing else this election season, none of that means a goddamn thing. In my life, at least, their existence is officially on mute. We should treat them as something even less important than the lonely tree that falls in the forest. At least trees give oxygen instead of sucking it out of the room. Now it's time for a massive double-decker Just Stand Up Award session this week. I'm going to read a list of verbal opposition to Trump in the sports world and then talk about two concrete things that took place on the field of play, which deserve notice and deserve big thank yous. And these were assembled by Tim Sullivan from the Louisville Courier-Journal. Just going to read through some of these comments so you know that the sports world is not being quiet in the face of this. Greg Popovich, coach of the Spurs, he said, I can't imagine being a Muslim right now or a woman or an African-American, a Hispanic, a handicapped person, how disenfranchised they must feel. And for anyone in those groups that voted for him, it's just beyond all my comprehension how they ignore all of that. My final conclusion is, my big fear is, we are Rome. 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said, and we'll have a link to his article at the bottom of the description of this podcast, how can we hope that this man understands or cares about us, especially now that white America has rewarded his outrageous racism, misogyny, xenophobia, and religious intolerance with a mandate to put those beliefs into policy? For African Americans, America just got a little more threatening, a little more claustrophobic, a lot less hopeful. We feel like disposable extras, the nameless bodies who are never part of the main cast. Richard Jefferson of the Cleveland Cavaliers hinted in Washington, D.C. that his Cleveland Cavaliers team might be the last NBA team to visit the White House. Shaka Smart, the head coach at Texas, called the election a slap in the face. Detroit Pistons coach Stan Van Gundy in a six-minute soliloquy said, we presume to tell other countries about human rights abuses and everything else. We better never do that again when our leaders talk to China or anybody else about these issues. We've just elected an openly brazen misogynist leader and we should keep our mouths shut and realize that we need to be learning maybe from the rest of the world because we don't got anything to teach anybody. It's embarrassing. I've been ashamed of a lot of things that have happened in this country, but I can't say I've ever been ashamed of our country until today. Even NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, Roger Goodell, said that Trump's election, quote, makes my job harder at home. I have twin daughters and a wife, and so I have to explain that to them. I just wish Roger had said what that is. And that that he needs to explain is that a sexual predator and an alleged, and I put alleged in quotes from because of certain things that a lot of us know but don't say, but an alleged child rapist is in the White House. So that's the verbal version of the Just Stand Up Award. But I got two concrete versions that I'm going to share uh, here as well. The first is the United States and Mexican national soccer teams. This is the, these guys are rivals. There's bad blood. There were almost several fights on the pitch during the game, but they still took the time before kickoff. Instead of posing for separate team photographs, to come together to form a quote-unquote unity wall. You don't have to be James Joyce to figure out the symbology that they were operating with there. U.S. and Mexico in a unity wall. Go for it, Trump. Give it a try. Try your mass deportations and see if people just roll over for it. I don't think they will. And I think the sports world is the canary in the coal mine. And one last person, Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Mike Evans. For folks who didn't hear, Mike Evans, who's never displayed any real political Jones up till now, pulled a Kaepernick and took a seat during the national anthem. And he was booed for it. It was at home in Tampa Bay. And even better, it was their salute to service day. And yet Mike Evans did that. Why did he do it? He said, quote, I'm doing it for a different reason, for how a reality star can be the president. That's not a good look. I'm not a political person, but I have common sense and I know something is not right. That's Mike Evans. And I absolutely stand with that. And I want to read everybody a quote from my hero, a person who I really wish was alive today to help make sense of what's happening. That's the late great historian Howard Zinn. And this is a message for everybody who wants to hit the streets and protest this administration, but is being told that they're part of the problem by protesting. This is what Howard Zinn said about dissent. Yes, dissent and protest are divisive, but in a good way. 
because they represent accurately the real divisions in society. Those divisions exist, the rich, the poor, whether there is dissent or not. But when there is no dissent, there is no change. The dissent has the possibility not of ending the divisions in society, but of changing the reality of the division, changing the balance of power on behalf of the poor and the oppressed, end quote. And now it's time for the Edge of Sports Hotline, uh, 401-426-3343. That's 401-426-EDGE. We asked people last week just how you're coping uh, with the election results. Let's hear some of the calls. Peace, Dave. Uh, this is Justin from Hip Hop Alumni. Man, this Trump trauma is the real deal. Uh, I'm an educator. I'm a hip hop head. Born in 81, a Reagan baby, unfortunately, but it's real. But we coping over here, man. I got a lot of hope. Of course, Ingus jump shot makes me feel good. Listening to Kendrick, uh, Drop Four Press, Drop their, their final record. Listening to a lot of Gangstar, a lot of Pop, a lot of Rex. So the music has helped me through, and also my students, too. A lot of my students of color are feeling some, some serious duress from this. And just being able to be there and attend to their needs and attend to their questions and concerns and literal tears. Um, using your podcast talking about power, talking about white supremacy, talking about gender, talking about homophobia and all these things that shape our lives. Much love, Dave, and uh, I appreciate all that you do. And shout out to Dan, man, on the ones and twos, man. You guys do a great show. And we got a lot of love for you, man. Peace. Yo. 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 Uh, if I could just interject, the producer Dan here, Justin, you're right on point with that Tribe Called Quest recommendation. That has been giving me life. It's been giving a lot of people life. It's a chance to hear Fife Dog from beyond. It's amazing to hear his voice. Fife Dog legend, you can call me Don Juice. I'm the bitch right now. What you need to see, proof? Recently on the internet, they chatting, taking both debating who can win in battle rapping. Let's make it happen. These cyberpunks already part. No subliminals with me. You know who the fuck you are. Who wants more? Ha ha. Well, here are. Orthodox spitter or ring on a south bar. No doubt I'ma set it. Set it. Dudes best be ready. Off top on the spot. No reading from your wack. Very leave the iPhones home. Skill sets must be shown. I'ma show you the real meaning of the danger zone. Hey, DZ, this is Adrian from Northern Virginia. Kaepernick, I definitely understand his points for not voting, but I don't agree with it. At very least, the impact that he could have at the local level, especially in California, is immense. And we need to have that power into that. Into that. People like Stephen A. Smith always want to make a big rash noise about moments like this, but they're not going to be the ones really moving the needle. Folks like Kaepernick, yourself, and the rest of us are. It is disappointing, but I think now it's a great opportunity to galvanize and mobilize and keep motivation and stop being complacent and be better. Thanks, DZ. Hope all is well. Be well. Keep the faith. Thank you so much for that call, Adrian. And yeah, just straight up, like I said, I've been on three demonstrations in the last week. They're angry. They're young. I heard one person say to me, a friend of mine who is like, guy with Trump doing these trade deals, you know, we better stock up on our 
cheap consumer goods now because China is about to go crazy on us. And there's a small part of me that's like, you know what? We've been living on a sea of cheap consumer goods for way too long. We've been living in this mythology that somehow things are okay because there's a black president. Meanwhile, you know, people still being shot down by police in the streets, people still being sexually assaulted on campus. I mean, the problems have been there and having a Democrat in office didn't solve them. Having Trump in office makes everything a lot more perilous and a lot more scary. But now it's like, all we have is the fight. I mean, this is fight or die time. So that's what Trump has given us and that's what his legacy will be. Thanks so much for the call, Adrian. Hi, this is Jonah Grant calling you from Madison, Wisconsin, and I'm actually a huge fan of Nigel Hayes, and I'm a, even more of a fan of what he's been doing and how he's been standing up. Uh, this past Thursday, I actually attended an anti-Trump protest, and for the first time, I actually felt some hope. It felt good to be surrounded by people who shared the same point of view that I had, and a lot of people for that matter. So it's a really dark time, I'd say, but there's also a lot of hope, and in all honesty, who better to leave the presidency to Donald Trump than President Obama? Because President Obama has always had this message of anti-cynicism. He doesn't want the American people to be cynical about the government. So things could be bleaker for America. We could not have even had Obama in the first place. And if we didn't have him, I don't know where we would be in terms of cynicism. Thanks, man. Bye. Thank you so much, Jonah. The only thing... I would add to that call is that it connects very strongly to what Harry Edwards said during our interview, which is if you're feeling down, if you're not doing well, first and foremost, everybody, seriously, only because I know people who've been dealing with this. If you think for a second that self-harm might be an issue, you need to call a friend because Donald Trump's not worth one drop of your blood. He's just not. But if you're just somebody who's feeling very down and depressed about the state of things, please find a demonstration to go to. You would be surprised of how good it feels, even amidst all the bad, to be among people. And it doesn't even have to be a demonstration that's perfect either. Like, I've been to demonstrations thrown by the local Democratic Party in my town. I've been to a demonstration thrown by anarchists, and I've been to a demonstration thrown by socialists. And guess what? All three of them made me feel a little bit better afterwards. So, seriously, self-care equals fight back. These are not two separate things. One thing, Jonah, from Dan, the producer, as well. I also derive a lot of uh, hope from what the president and the first lady did on the very day that they had to welcome this repugnant person to the White House and hand over power. They also hosted the Cleveland Cavaliers and found time to do a mannequin challenge video and find some levity and some connection, even on a, a dark day. So there's still humor. There's still sports. There's still this podcast. And there's still the hotline to call. And we thank you for doing it. That's Dan's way of saying that even if we can play the smallest possible role in keeping some semblance of civil society afloat, some sort of resistance society afloat, we will do that. So that's all I have for this week. Uh, Thank you to Dr. Harry Edwards. Thank you to my producer, Dan Bloom. Thank you to my associate producer, David Tigaboo. 
Uh, you can contact me, Dave Zirin, at Edge of Sports on Twitter. Even though I got to tell you, I'm not on Twitter as much anymore. You can email me at edgesports at slate.com. As always, the Edge of Sports hotline is 401 426 3343. That's 401 426 Edge. Because of the great calls this week, seriously, consider it for another week still venting space about what you think about these elections and your response to what Harry Edwards said today. Easily one of the smartest people I've ever had the privilege to conversate with. To everybody out there in Edge of Sports land, please, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace. When you have no choice, the odds and the circumstances don't matter. I mean, it's like taking your next breath. You have no choice. Whether you want to get up this morning, whether you're feeling good, bad, whether you've had your coffee or not, you have no choice but to take that next breath. Thank you.